Hello from Yerushalayim and Beit Shemesh. It's Binyamin Rose and myself, Gedali Gutentag, with Mishpacha's Homefront, a series covering Israel's biggest conflict in a generation. Binyamin have been flying solo and manning their home front alone to mix metaphors for two episodes. So welcome back. Thank you for holding down the fort in my absence. That's a third metaphor. We've got a based in over there. We've got a lot to discuss today, including the delay in the grand invasion of Gaza alongside bleeding international support. But first, Binyamin, I want to say something, and I want to discuss, I think it's on both of our minds, Antonio Guterres, Secretary General of the United Nations. I think he's taught me and all my generation something that we never expected to see, what it looked like for our grandparents when world leaders averted their eyes when the Jews were attacked. So there's been a lot of talk about Holocaust comparisons that have sprouted in the wake of the Hamas butchery. And I've been a bit skeptical about this in the sense that, you know, it's ahistorical. We've got a long Jewish history of pogroms. It's a very ancient pattern. The Crusades, the Chmelnitsky massacres, on the smaller scale, they have Hebron in Tarpat, many others. One sense, yesterday, we saw something straight out of the 80 years ago, the playbook of the Pope in the Holocaust. So, Binyamin, we had this quote. It's important to also recognize the attacks by Hamas did not happen in a vacuum, Guterres said. Palestinian people have been subjected to 56 years of suffocating occupation, etc. Their hopes for a political solution, their plight to be vanishing. Guterres says it didn't happen in a vacuum. He contextualized in a way that I don't think he would think of doing in any other circumstances, such as Ukraine and Russia. The fact that he feels comfortable to do so is because, correct me if I'm wrong, Jews are the exception. We saw that pattern 80 years ago. So, Binyamin, what I, all I have to say is just join Gilad Erdan, Israel's ambassador at the United Nations, who rightly had just a few words for Guterres. He told him, you have to go. Gidal, I'll add uh, two things to uh, the very uh, valid points you made and uh, the passionate way in which you expressed it. Number one, if Hamas is, uh, I'm sorry, if the Gazans are under occupation, they're not under occupation from Israel, they're under occupation from Hamas. Uh, someone should remind Guterres that Israel left the Gaza Strip in 2005. I think it's 2023 now, so 18 years have passed. And they're under Hamas occupation, not Israeli occupation. So if he wants to blame anyone for being imprisoned, it's Hamas who are the wardens, not Israel. The second point is when uh, Emmanuel Macron from France was here yesterday, his suggestion was that the international community should have some sort of uh, alliance and they should fight Hamas, sort of like what the U.S. built in uh, 1991 in the Gulf War. So we can see now exactly why Israel can never allow their security to be in the hands of the international community. And the reason why is because if you have people like Antonio Guterres, who are going to be leading a coalition against Hamas, they'll decide when to stop. They'll decide when enough is enough. And uh, Israel will have once again handed over its security to a foreign body. And we can't let that happen. Agreed. What's unexcusable about this contextualization coming from a guy like Guterres is that they literally leave us with no tools. It's all, you have to leave us the civilians. Yes, you have a struggle. Yes, you also have a point. But ultimately, they're saying down arms to Israel. And that's what Guterres is saying. Anyway, that's Guterres. I know that it's been on your mind, all of our minds here about the delay in the long and expected now grand offensive into Gaza. There's an interesting report that I just noticed uh, 20 minutes ago. It was uh, based on uh, a story that was originally sourced in Ma'ariv. And they said that uh, Netanyahu was basically clear-headed. And the problem is that he's handling everything by himself. He's making all the decisions single-handedly. The reason why, 
And this is the scary part is that uh, it says here in the story, the Shin Bet chief, the IDF chief of staff and the intelligence chief were not appointed by Netanyahu. In other words, none of these key people in the military intelligence are Netanyahu appointees. He doesn't trust them. And it says that uh, if before October 7th, his faith in them was low, now it's even lower. That's uh, very scary. On the other hand, at the end of the article, it mentioned that he is getting advice from external advisors, such as uh, former Mossad chief Yossi Cohen, who we know Netanyahu always trusted on uh, some of the most serious missions. Yossi Cohen is uh, one of the architects of the Abraham Accords. Also, Yaakov Amijar, who we uh, know and we've interviewed on occasion. So if he's getting advice from these men, then it's good. So, but you know, my take on this, and I'm a bit less sympathetic to Bibi on this, and I'll tell you why. This reeks of some political messaging over here, which is, we know Bibi's line has been until 6.29 on Sumchus Torah morning. He didn't know anything. This was hidden from him. And yet he presided over the kind of the entire way of, for 10 years, the idea that we could just wall ourselves off from Gaza, bomb them occasionally, use high-tech means, and not deal with them, rather go on to do these, get involved in diplomacy in a way that he actually successfully so. But in a sense, this is saying, I don't have the right people in place. That, to me, reeks of political messaging, of preparing the ground for saying, this is not my fault. And I have to say one more thing, which is that you mentioned Ami Dror. Now, Ami Dror is a Chacham. I know him, right? We both interacted, and there's one of the most impressive people just to listen to in his analysis. But there's one thing, I cannot forget one thing that Yaakov Ami Dror told me, which is years ago when they were floating, four or five years ago, four years ago probably, they were floating all these incendiary balloons over from Gaza, and they kept burning large tracts of farmland around. These balloons got as far as Big Chemish and who knows when. It was low-level attacks. And yet, and I said to him, what's going to be with that? And he said, plant new forests or something to the effect of, let's just call the fire brigade. Our main focus has to be on Iran. Now, he was right. He said Gaza was a distraction, not Iran. And yet this ultimately blew up because we didn't deal with Gaza. Iran dealt a blow to us close to home. So I sense that there is something. I'm just worried that there is all-round culpability for the failure here in analysis of what the threat was emerging from Gaza. And I don't know if Bibi's former advisors are them are free from that. I don't think anyone could have uh, totally predicted uh, what was going to happen. Because again, everyone felt that this was going to start in the north and uh, not in Gaza. The fact that we were totally unprepared and that our response was slow, so uh, heads are going to have to roll for that. Hopefully, we'll be able to uh, snatch uh, victory from uh, the jaws of defeat in a very short time. I would still have more confidence in Netanyahu and his leadership based on his track record than uh, some of the people who are in office right now who were appointed by uh, Benny Gantz, who were appointed by uh, Bennett. But uh, I'd like to, with a couple of minutes we have left, end, if I may, on, on a positive note, uh, just getting around Yerushalayim, I've talked about this. Uh, we haven't. And I've read an intelligence report that basically says that uh, really Yerushalayim has been very safe, thank God, over the last couple of weeks. And why? Because the police and uh, the Mishmar HaGvul, the border patrol, are basically have adopted uh, Rudy Giuliani's, if you will, zero tolerance policy. And uh, they're cracking down on everything. And as soon as they see a potential incident, they're uh, swooping in, they're uh, detaining people, they're questioning them. And I can see it for myself that, again, thank God, uh, Jerusalem has been very safe over uh, the last few days. Uh, some of the bus lines that were canceled are now running again. The kids are back in school today. And uh, God willing, we'll uh, continue to see a return to uh, some semblance of normalcy, although there's no question that uh, militarily there are going to be some very challenging times ahead. 
Binyamin, you said we have a bright spot and I take that. I just want to add one more, perhaps the bright spot of my own, just share something with you very quickly, which is uh, listeners may have uh, seen last week, there's a video going around to Rav Yitzchot Zilberstein visiting a man who has had both of his arms blown off. He was in Kerem Shalom, Kibbutz Kerem Shalom, and he's defending his, uh, his sealed room, the Mamad. Uh, Hamas tried to breach it with an explosive charge. He lost his eye, lost half his face, he lost two arms, and he's still alive. And the backstory to that was something unbelievable. And I just share this very quickly with you, which is that um, Rabbi Shlomo Ra'anan, who, Benyamin, uh, a friend of yours, the head of Ayala Tashachat, the group that brings Arechim into secular cities and neighborhoods to live and to try and have impact over there. So this man was actually on the Avrechim, Rabbi Ra'anan's Avrechim. He was, that's what he was doing there in Karim Shalom as a part of, there was 10 or so families who moved in there. And what actually happened, Rabbi Ranan found this out. He didn't know that this was the man, but what had happened is he went to visit, he went to visit the families where these Karim Shalom people have been evacuated in a hotel in Elat. And a woman comes over to him and she says the following unbelievable thing. She says, she says, Rabbi, can, um, one, one thing, can you help me? I need a pair of Tfilin of Rabbi Nutam. And he says, Rabbeinu Tantfilin, who needs, I don't have a pair of Rabbeinu Tantfilin, he says, no, this is my husband, he's still unconscious, this is what happened to him, there's one thing I can give to him that means so much to him when he wakes up, his pair of Tantfilin Rabbeinu Tam, he's been trying to save up for them for 10 years, and this would be the most meaningful thing to him, he's an average, he spends all his days learning, this is it. And he said, Rabbi Ranan said, he was just blown away, this is like a Sipur Tzadikim from hundreds of years ago, and that for me is a tremendous bright spot as well, we have Tzadikim like this. In our generation, people who losing their arms and what they still would be most meaningful to them as parents finna rabbeinutam. Nothing more needs to be said. I conclude on that hopeful note and we'll see each other tomorrow for good news.